1: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Ferrari's Charles Leclerc would end day two of the Barcelona pre-season test at the top of the timesheets, but let's talk about those timesheets. How much can we really read in? the lap times, it's not really half the story. It's such a small part of the story that needs to be told, which is why we've not sent one or two or three of the team. We've got our famous five on the ground, trackside, in the pit lane, in the paddock, talking to people, looking at the cars, observing them on the track, walking the circuit as well to not only crunch the lap time numbers, but be able to decode that. Along with their experience of reporting on Formula One for many years and also looking at the cars up close as well. Matt Q joins our coverage for Formula One this year at Autosport, alongside Hayden Cobb, our autosport.com editor who was on yesterday's podcast, and our F1 reporter, Luke Smith. And joining me on tonight are our technical editor, Jake Boxall Leg, and our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalanorkis. Got lots of questions that you guys, I'm sure, will answer on tonight's podcast. But first of all, I want to talk about issues bigger than Formula One, bigger than sports, and that is the news of Russia and Ukraine. Well, Haas will complete the final day of Formula One pre-season testing with a plain white livery, or at least their livery, which has the Haas in red letters, but without their sponsor and Luke Smith, our F1 reporter, sent us his take on the news and what's happening.
2: Probably the biggest news this evening was relating to Haas, which is a team that has a Russian title sponsor, Rural Kali, and a Russian driver in Nikita Mazepin. Günther Steiner, he was due to appear in the team principals press conference earlier today, but he was pulled out at the last minute. So it left only four figures in there instead of five. And the Mazepin's press call was also cancelled later in the day. Haas announced this evening, just as so we were about to leave the circuit to Catalonia, that the team would not be running with any Ural Carly sponsorship on its car tomorrow. The team runs with red, white and blue colours that resemble the Russian flag. Ural Carly has been the title sponsor of the team for the past two seasons and the team is known as Ural Carly Haas F1 team. Haas said it will be running in an all-white livery tomorrow. The driver lineup of Mazepin and Schumacher doing half a day each. That will remain unchanged.
1: Well, Sebastian Vettel said his mind was made up, and I quote, my own opinion is I should not go, I will not go. I think it's wrong to race in that country, end quote. And we'll hear from what Max Verstappen said as the voice of Formula One's world champion in just a moment. But Alex, can I start with you actually and talk to you about what the feeling is In the pit and paddock area with the teams and even amongst fellow journalists as well about Formula One's decision to meet this evening with the team bosses and the organisers and the rights holders to talk about whether Formula One should go to Russia and indeed what Formula One's going to say about the bigger events happening in the world right now.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real shame that we are having to talk about uh, this and and that people in F1 circles are doing so. has um, um, you know, it's interesting that they're obviously under a lot of pressure. You know, UEFA are considering taking matches away from the chat in the Champions League. There's World Cup qualification matches that are that are under threat. Actions have to have consequences. You know, Russia has invaded another sovereign country. It's inconceivable that it should be getting the prestige that comes with hosting sporting events. This is why whenever anybody says, oh, sport and politics don't mix, sport and politics shouldn't mix, is getting it completely wrong. They're intrinsically linked because so many nations, even even Britain, I know for a fact that the British government was very keen for the British Grand Prix to get on that COVID testing plan so that it could show off how successful its vaccination rollout was in the context of Brexit. Like, it'd be outrageous if it goes ahead. And I think Sebastian Vettel in particular was, you know, commendable for for coming out in the press conference and saying that he would refuse to go. And, um, you know, also Max Verstappen as well. You know, he came out and said when a country is at war, it is not right to race there. You know, he's a he's a young guy, but he is the world champion. So his words do carry real weight. So good on those guys for, for speaking out. But, you know, and, and also with Haas and with the branding coming off, that's probably the right step as well. It's, it's an awful situation and hopefully it can get resolved um, very quickly and as peacefully as possible.
1: There is a GP Racing podcast now, like it was a few months ago. I'll find it before we publish, and I'll put a link in the show notes, where Mark Gallagher makes a really interesting point about politics and sports and and actually he makes not defending any of these countries but on that podcast uh, mark makes a really interesting point about where formula one goes as a sport whether that is to nations that kill journalists or to china that will suppress entire ethnic groups and he says you can make you can make a case for formula one to going to no country in the world but there are exceptional circumstances and i think what he would probably you know if we updated that podcast now say this is an exceptional circumstance so i've seen lots of obviously debate online yes formula one does to go to to many contentious uh, countries, controversial as well, but, uh, but this is, hopefully people would agree, more of a special case. Now let's get on to today's action. Oh, guys, I want to start with Ferrari first of all, Alex, and I'll start with you. Now, Charles Leclerc yes, he topped the timesheets. He put in 78 laps. Uh, Carlos Sainz Jr., 71 laps. He was in fifth, but ignoring the timing screens for now, something that I mentioned yesterday, but I want to pick up a bit more on today, and that seems to be the reliability Now, testing is full of, we had a small water leak here. There was a fuel pump pressure problem there. But some of the teams, Ferrari being one of those, seems to have bulletproof reliability at the moment. Can we draw a line between that reliability and pace at this stage? You're the expert on this. How much... Can we read into that?
4: I wouldn't have said so purely because uh, Carlos Sainz Junior. has is, is, is come out and said today, you know, we can go up to four seconds faster. It's the sort of the sandbagging that comes with testing, and that they're in different stages of their programs. But what Ferrari is able to do because it has been so reliable has to chase a little bit of performance. But they say they're 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 nowhere near um, getting that. But what's really what's really interesting with Ferrari is that the reliability is very impressive. You know, considering this is labelled a shakedown, not a test, because the teams were so concerned and Formula One was so concerned about the cars just not working which was always ridiculous because the rules in Formula 1 for years have have improved reliability gearboxes only lasting a certain number of event, events the same with a cap on engine parts in, in the pool have meant that these bits have got to get better and better and better and the rule changes for 2022 are purely aerodynamic you know, the engine is going to be frozen. That, that That's the other big update. And then there's obviously the restrictions on cost and things like that. And there was very little expectation amongst, from our side, certainly, that there was going to be a sort of repeat of the Jerez 2014 situation. But there we go. Um, but yeah, with Ferrari, it's really, really interesting. You know, they are looking, they are looking very solid. They are, they are having a very, very good test. Mercedes and Red Bull also look like they're having a very, very good test. It's just they're further down the order because that's just what they do they go about their programs in totally different ways with ferrari what i will say having observed trackside yesterday every time max verstappen came past in his red bull it was noticeably quieter than any of the other cars and the mercedes was quieter than for example the williams and the mclaren running similar engines that would suggest to me their engines are turned down and the ferrari was absolutely screaming my educated guess hopefully educated guess would be that Ferrari are, are in, a, in a slightly higher engine mode and that's fine you know maybe they're running twice as much fuel as everybody else and and that, and that explains it but what I like about this is that it's kind of difficult at the moment there's no real narrative of oh someone's really really in trouble or someone's stunningly quick and that leaves the expectation that hopefully there'll be more than one team in the mix whether I'm right or not I don't know
1: were you track side again today
4: I was able to leave my uh, my new colleague matt Q to do that all morning he had an excellent time I think it's probably a good time to throw to jBL because he and Matt were uh, were conversing a lot in the afternoon because what Matt was tasked with doing specifically in the morning was to go down and watch the cars on the straight and watch for a certain phenomenon <laughs> that was uh, very prevalent in the 1980s that as oh it suddenly reared its head again There's a certain amount of weird sort of shock that the f1 teams and the rulemakers didn't foresee this happening anyway um yeah <laughs> jake's probably better to answer that to go over that with you martin
1: oh JB, we mentioned this yesterday as a tease on the podcast and i said i want to get on to this when we got more time uh, after day two but it seems to have taken on a whole life of its own there's a brilliant article in autosport plus for our members our subscribers that matt Q has written it's been dubbed Porpoising. Again, it comes from the 1980s in terms of ground effect. It is an all-encompassing phrase, but what, the, how the cars are designed now, enormously different to how the cars were designed then. And yet this effect seems to have come back because... It's something that you can't replicate on the sim, and you can't replicate easily until you get the cars on the track, and it's to do with airflow separation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you saw today?
2: First of all, there's two factors at play. It's the return of these Venturi tunnels uh, that all the teams are using for their underbody flow, and the brand-new suspension layouts and uh, the, the stiffer tyres as well. Um, and these are the two contributing factors – And so what you've got is when the car is moving along the straights, it's going at its absolute fastest. And so because the speed of the air moving around the car is is much, much quicker, that's when you're generating the majority of your downforce. These underbodies now are generating such a huge amount of downforce that um, they're being pulled down to the road. And one of the things that we used to see in the 1980s, and we're seeing it now, is that when the cars do get too close to the ground and bottom out, that's when you get that stall and you get that separation because the underbody isn't working as it des- was designed to do. Um, and then suddenly you have this massive drop in downforce because the the, the underbody is stalling. Uh, uh, and so the car is no longer pulling itself down to the road, it's popping back up again. Um, and then the cycle continues, it then builds more downforce and then it lets it go and it stalls and it, it's... Uh, you know, it continues to sort of oscillate in that fashion. And that's why we're seeing these cars juddering on the straights with with seemingly reckless abandon. And that's not particularly helped by the fact that this suspension is so so stiff now, because the teams need it to generate the right underbody downforce when they're going through the fast corners. Um, because you know, if you if you make the suspension too soft, you're going to have pitch and you're going to have yaw in the corners, and then you're not going to generate the downforce, and therefore you're not going to be able to go as quickly around these these quicker corners. So the suspension needs to be stiff for that. But because it's so stiff, the entire car is being pulled down with these Venturi tunnels, um, sorry, with with the, down, the downforce. So it's, it's such a difficult thing. And yeah, as you say, none of the teams had considered this uh, a problem and you don't see it in testing. And you probably, you know, even though the teams have these seven post rigs, it's very, very difficult to sort of put the two together especially because you're not moving in in real time so it's so difficult to simulate and you know they've there's no substitute for real world experience and the teams have turned up here and have found that they've got very chattery cars on this race.
1: <laughs> uh, matt mentioned it happens about 350 meters before the braking zone so it's not as if it's just kicking in for a moment or two before the braking zone. It's a fair chunk of time that you get to observe this, but we don't get to observe this because there's no TV coverage because it's a shakedown. Well, the official Formula One channel is putting some stuff on, but they're being quite selective. They're quite short videos. Are all the teams suffering from this?
2: I think the majority of them are. Mercedes seems... Particu- and, and Dalpine as well, they seem particularly bad. And we've seen the video of, of Ferrari doing it as well. I think this is a problem that everybody's having to face because, again, this is a completely different philosophy of aerodynamics and um, it, it's just not come up in testing, in simulations rather. And yeah, they're, they're now, uh, you know, I imagine that every every single team has people back at the factory trying to work on it, trying to understand why it's happening and how they can stop it. Um, and luckily, uh, there's there's a couple of weeks between now and the the Bahrain test as well, so they do have a focus um, to you know to kind of stamp that out. But as I said on a on a video that will also appear on the uh, the Autosport YouTube channel, if it still ends up being a problem, you know, in Bahrain for the race, that's probably not such a bad place to have it. But if it's still a problem when they get to Jeddah. Then all hell is going to break loose. So this is something that the teams will need to get on top of for sure.
4: Yeah, you definitely don't want to be going to a super high speed, super dangerous, um, with the close walls street circuit for, for for this happening. But what I was just going to say is, Matteo Bonotto made a good point in the press conference, which is basically because it's such a compromise between you know having this effect or having the the, the greater impact of the ground effect, whoever solves it is going to be onto a winner. Let's you know, or, or certainly improve their circumstances considerably. So. It's, not, it's being talked about for a reason this this is a surprise a big surprise and and potentially really really either good or bad for various teams
1: well i have a question about how to solve it but stick around and i will pose that to you in the second part of the podcast stay there All right, welcome back to the podcast. Now, Alex, one of the things I was going to ask you about was this is a problem, as JBL said, nearly all the teams are suffering from it, but to different degrees. It's a new rule set. Has anybody in the paddock been talking about this is almost an FIA problem, not a team's problem to to sort? Is there anything that they can do on a global level to be like, well, we've given you these new rules, everyone's suffering, therefore maybe we should try and, I don't know, can they give them a set of tools, some leniency on... Design has that been discussed at all, or, or, or is it now up to the teams to fix it?
4: You could make a case, or there have been cases made in the past. You know that things need to be changed on safety grounds, but I don't know. It is, I mean, it definitely is the the, the rule makers. But I'm not sure if you go after the FIA for that, rather more the you know, the team at FOM that sort of came up with it. That you know things like that. But equally, these are Formula One teams, it's their, this, that is the challenge. Here are the rules. You you make your car be as quick as possible to those rules because there is a solution, in, 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 which is to alter the setup. And okay, you won't have the the same ground effect, so you'll lose lap time. Is that right, Jake?
2: Yeah, I think so. There's there's a few things you can tweak with the setup. But yeah, as you say, you're you know you're losing performance in the high speed corners, down the straights you're not going to be porpoising quite as much, um, and you can sort of probably get that effect by softening the suspension and then just creating much more damping between the you know the, the car and the 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 ground, but it's it, again yeah as you say uh, the teams aren't going to be liable to thinking like that
1: and how much are the 18 inch wheels playing into that as well are they still learning about that or was a lot of that learning done at the tire test last year or is that another variable still to get their head around at this stage
2: i think it's still something that they have to get their heads around because um you know this is the first proper time where you know we're in a representative test um with these representative cars as well um you know, you can get so much data from, you know, what they call a mule car. Um, but when it comes to the actual 2022 levels of downforce and how they produce downforce and how the loads are put through the tyres, it's a completely different thing. So this is something that they have to get on, on top of. The sidewalls are very, very stiff because they're much, much smaller. And obviously, you have much larger wheel rims as well. So Everything is just very, very different. Um, And, you know, some of the drivers will say, yeah, it doesn't feel that different. But, you know, for the engineers, it's a a huge, huge challenge. And if it doesn't feel that much different, then the engineers have done a fantastic job to keep the uh, consistency and the feeling of the car. So yeah there's there's a lot for them to get their heads around for sure
1: lewis hamilton and mercedes are the front cover of today's autosport magazine and this week's edition but it's george russell who's getting used to a whole new car new team as well and today he said there was a red team and an orange team who are quicker than mercedes at the minute but it's testing he's allowed to say that uh if, if it's true or not but from your perspective is there any grains of truth in what he's saying or is it all smoke and mirrors what he's saying there
4: yeah, I mean, it's both, isn't it? He's, he's both <laughs> totally correct and totally sort of <laughs> <laughs> lying in a way, isn't it? It's like, yes, they are ahead in terms of the the times, uh, the, the ultimately quickest times of the two days so far. But if Mercedes have got twice as much fuel on board every time they go out, it's, it's not the truth, is it? So I think, um, yeah, I think he's, he's I, 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 I like George. I um you know, I know him pretty well from when I covered him in GP3 in 2017 and what really struck me then he's, he's really clever he's a really clever bloke and he knows he'll, he'll know exactly what he says is going to be picked up because he's a Mercedes driver now he'll, he'll only be saying something that, that serves the team but equally equally I know that team is a very very honest team so I don't hmm. think I don't think they're necessarily saying you know we're behind and then they're going to rock up and totally dominate come Bahrain but it, it is interesting I just don't get the sense that there's complete panic I think like last year you could see that there was something really fundamentally wrong with the Mercedes handling and testing and it doesn't appear to be that way at this stage so I just don't rule them out and I don't rule out Red Bull either that car looks fantastic it, it was a little bit inconsistent and in some of the corners but I saw it at yesterday, when Verstappen was through the gravel, I think I believe Perez had an off as well. Obviously, he had a gearbox problem, and mm. broke um, the car down. So it, it, it looks on paper to be a little bit rocky for Red Bull. But it's both frustrating and fascinating to think that we could have a multi-team scrap. We just don't know it yet.
1: What was it actually like seeing those cars coming round? And I asked that question because in your piece for Autosport Plus, you even mention that the and I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast that that in your in your your piece you talk about how the aero surfaces being so different even create a different sound not the engine sound but the cars even sound different let alone you know the tires sound different when they lock up etc because it's you know everything is so different so what was it you know on a kind of visceral level for you like yesterday
4: that was the first thing that that struck me when i when i got out there it was because what I deliberately set out to do was compare it to Abu Dhabi. What I saw there, what was because you know I go out every race that I'm at and I've got to do a piece for the magazine that this is what the cars are, are, are doing in, in practice and what they look like trackside. So let's let's do that a direct comparison with brand new cars that are so visually different and are supposed to be handling so different and things like that. And yeah, it was the it was this different sound that struck me first. With more carbon fibre comes more air striking a surface, and it's 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 really a really a fascinating um, fascinating thing to be happening. It, it sounds quite nice, really it's just you know it's another little element it's that the people talk about motorsport being a, a, as you say a visceral <laughs> thing so I think that's a good thing to, to add in every time I go trackside and I do try and do it at every single event it's just wonderful because it's a complete privilege to be able to do it you know the photographers who go out that's their job to go and look at these cars but we as journalists don't necessarily have to do it we like to do it because we know our auto sport readers want to know and and, and it helps us gain insight as well so I just feel so lucky to be able to do it but particularly with seeing these new cars like whoa, what what do they actually look like both look incredibly different and incredibly similar they are still <laughs> Formula 1 cars but they're just aggressive and meaner and the rear wings do look a bit almost ridiculous at certain angles um, so yeah it was wonderful to be able to go and stand out there um, I was I a was a little bit caught out by the fact that at this time of year in Barcelona if you're in the shade it's freezing cold if you're in the sunshine it's (laughs) boiling hot so I was both sunburnt frozen and and <laughs> sweating inside my uh, my jacket all all at the same time it was quite the mix.
1: Yeah, that's quite a mental image you've, you've painted there as well. So, uh, thanks on behalf of the uh, the podcast listeners. Look, just a uh, final one to you Alex uh, before you go. Yesterday you mentioned uh, that there were times when maybe two or even three cars would kind of come around together. They weren't making a huge uh, attempt some of them anyway to overtake. And that would imply that teams are thinking, hey, maybe let's extend our stint or something and get some data on on what it's like following other cars. Was that happening again today? Have we seen teams trying to second-guess other drivers and kind of going convoy a bit
4: uh, a little bit, I know Ricardo was following Leclerc at one point, I think Latifi and Mazepin as well were were, were doing similar things, but what was great is that the the way the press conferences were arranged this week a lot of stuff was happening at lunchtime, and with the first one, the majority of the drivers in it hadn't actually driven the cars in the test yet, so it was it was a little bit in terms of asking about driver feedback from driving these new cars, a little bit of a waste of time on that front, but today all obviously all of them had, and it's fantastic to um, to listen to the responses, particularly the ones given by. Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc who 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 were able to give really good answers. And yesterday while I was out I did see Verstappen up behind Mazapan and Latifi. It was sort of like a little three-car train. It was a they, they as a pack they do look quite menacing with these new aggressive bodywork designs. It's really quite interesting. Um but yeah, what was great was that Max was saying that yeah, following does from the limited experience he's had and obviously the caveat there is that well Mazapan in particular was about 10 seconds behind him the next time they came by so he was probably on a cool down lap or you know totally running a different program. So It's not going to be like racing conditions representative, but it does feel like they can get closer. Basically, the the dirty air problem that these new rules are intended to solve by throwing the air higher appears to be working. They're not getting that downforce loss when they're, you know, a couple of seconds behind another car. They are able to get close. They're not able to get to the diffuser, as Verstappen said, because they're Formula One cars. But that is good because what I also saw yesterday was that the cars, the braking zones are no shorter. So it was about, okay, so, okay, if they can follow closely, then it doesn't, it doesn't, it matters less that the breaking zones are shorter. And according to Verstappen and Claire, that is the case. That's a very, 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 very good sign, I'd say.
1: Yeah. Okay, right. Let's uh, f- just finish off uh, earlier on today for anyone who's not spending their life on social media uh, like some people do. Uh, they gave JBL the keys to the Auto Sport Twitter earlier and said ask me anything uh, Reddit AMA style. And indeed the audience did. Uh, so for the podcast listeners, um, maybe we could go through a couple of those JBL if that's okay. Yeah, sure. JU Nick asked what's the major difference between push rod and pull rod suspensions? It's something that teams always flip
2: between. Uh, the last few years, it's been push rod front and pull rod rear, and that's because uh, you know of packaging reasons largely. But the reason we're seeing a lot of teams go to push rod rears um, is because you know the rockers that are mounted to the bottom of the chassis they're being moved further upwards to give them more floor space it is a matter of packaging, it's usually a matter of aero as well, It's so so important with regards to suspension these days um, but very simply put, what is the difference between push rod and pull rod? Push rod, you have the rockers at the top and the rod uh, extends all the way down to the bottom of the tyre um, and, 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 and that works with the, the suspension travel uh, in bump and then pull rod, it's basically the other way around you have the rockers on the bottom of the, the, the chassis and the pull rod goes all the way to the top of the tyre and it's just uh, a a different way of using and
1: controlling your suspension. I thank you. Speculative Conjecture on Twitter says, will the stiffer suspension of the cars force drivers to avoid the curbs more? And have they been doing that in testing?
2: I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of the cars going around corners, so Alex might be in a better place to answer this than than I am.
4: Uh, Unfortunately, all the corners that I was at yesterday, um, apart from seven and eight, only Leclerc was sort of sliding into the curbs but he wasn't hitting them particularly hard I haven't been out to the final corners to see the, where the big curbs are yet so no apologies I can't answer that either.
2: Okay so Ooh. that's to be confirmed because uh, we've not seen a lot of last corner action uh, I will consult with Matt Hugh, who has been I believe to the last few corners uh, and I'll see what his verdict is. Uh, you'd think so uh, I think on balance um, if you know you're hitting those curbs at the, the rate that they have done in the past then uh, obviously you're going to lose a lot of downforce and you, you need all the downforce you can get in, when you're on uh, uh, the exit of a very slow corner.
1: Kyle, who is DJ Professor K72, says, With how large F1 cars have become in the last 20 years, can you ever see the rules changing so the cars get reduced to like a 2005-style design? It's so difficult today because
2: you have all of these hybrid components and safety systems on on board the cars and there's also the reason the cars are so long now as well is because of the 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 overall aero effect and you know and packaging the hybrid hybrid power units so it's really really difficult to see it sort of going back to these very very small very very light and very very nimble cars um, unless Formula One in the next I don't know 30 years ends up in a situation where it's you know, crossing over with Formula E or we've got hydrogen fuel cells for example uh, that's going to take a lot less weight if we have advances in battery tech but At the moment, no. I only see them getting a little bit more heavy.
1: And finally, one of your readers says, cream then jam or jam then cream. They're not taking this seriously. But if you had to answer, you would say,
2: as a Somerset boy, uh, I look on at the rest of the West Country and watch uh, people from Cornwall and people from Devon literally tearing each other's throats out over this. It's a very contentious matter. Jam first, then cream, um, because you can get more cream on. Um, what I like to do, actually, is I like to go half and half, just to annoy absolutely everybody.
1: This is why we sent our dream team, the Famous Five, to Barcelona to answer the hard-hitting questions thank you very much for that uh thank you very much for listening to the podcast today make sure you check out the subscriber section if you are a subscriber to autosport plus because we've got some cracking content in there to read uh, from our five guys who are over there enjoying trackside action and finally getting in the paddock and talking uh, to the teams the drivers and everyone else in formula one we'll be back tomorrow night for the final day of testing see you tomorrow.